If you would please open up to the book of Galatians. <laughs> we start a new book. Did you know Galatians is my favorite book? I love Galatians. And I hope you too will enjoy Galatians. And I always encourage you, please read ahead, study, be a Berean, study the word. So when you come, it's not going to be the first time you're hearing or seeing these words that you'll actually see what God has already been revealing to you and allow him through his word and through the gathering and the Holy movement of the Holy Spirit today that he will speak to bring even more clarity to you. I don't know about you, but you're always asking the Lord, please show us, give us wisdom, show us what I need to do or to go or not to go and all these things. Through his word, he speaks to you. And so, again, study the word. Read it through and see what the Lord has for you. Now, we just came through the first and second Corinthians over the last several, 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 several weeks. And you know that Paul was dealing with false teachers, even during in his interaction in Corinth. But he still dealt with this in the area of Galatia. And we will find today this letter, this epistle, this book that we reference to, is no doubt the same concerns and issues dealing with false teachers impacting the church. So as we look at the scripture here, the churches Paul founded in the Roman province of Galatia, we can go back and see that in Acts chapter 13 and 14, where he finds and we see what happens where as he planted churches, Paul planted churches into these areas as God was calling him and moving him and anointing him to do this work. As he planted these churches, as soon as he steps away, what happened? The enemy always wants to come in and tear down what God is already doing. And he does that in many ways. But one of those key things that we'll find, especially today, is he allows, he, he, Satan allows and brings these vessels that are you being used by him to come in and to bring false teaching. To bring down this, this, this simple plan that God has given us, the gospel of grace. And we call these people Judaizers because they tried to bring Christians back into the bondage of the law of Moses. And these guys were coming in after Paul and saying, yes, you must have faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, he is the Messiah, but you must also... And there's the catch. That's the, that's the piece that your ears should catch. Yes, you must follow Jesus Christ, the Messiah, by faith. Yes, that is true. But, and, you should. And when, that's the, when they add to the gospel, that's what we call a false teacher. And that's what these Judaizers were doing. They were coming and saying, yes, we recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus. But you also need to keep the law of Moses. Yes, you need to have Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to keep the dietary law that the Jewish law had. Yes, you, can, you need Jesus, but you also need to follow the Sabbath. See, that is false teaching. Any church you go to and they say, yes, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, follow Jesus with all your heart and mind and soul, but you must also... 
No touching. No touching. You're talking to someone that is trying to get you to go down a path to bring you back into bondage of religiosity, legalism. And you must be aware when you see legalism. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Period. No buts, no ands, no ors. And anyone who tries to do that is deceiving you. And God is warning, as Paul is warning, and as he's writing this letter to address the churches, not just a church, but the churches in Galatia, because this was happening. Now remember, he was planting these churches, and what was happening, we see, is that these false teachers were coming in along behind him, trying to, to dismantle the work that God was doing. It was a these were beautiful, prosperous, uh, healthy churches. They were just growing and growing. And so word got back to Jerusalem that, hey, what's going on up there? There's some mega churches going on up in that area. Compared to Jerusalem, the persecution was tremendous. And what was going on in these, these Gentile churches that were following uh, Jesus? They were like, you better send someone up there to take a look at what's going on. These are really Jesus freak kind of churches. These are really solid churches here. That was awesome. Great testimony of what God was doing. But what was happening then is these, these Jewish believers who were still were holding on to the law of the Mosaic law and these pieces like the dietary and the circumcision, they went up to check out what was going on. Well, they found, they confronted and came and started headbutting with Paul. <laughs> you don't want to headbutt with Paul. Paul knows what God has called him to do, and he's going he's to protect his, his, the sheep. He's the shepherd. He was the, the, he was the pastor over that church. And because of that confrontation we see in the scriptures, he went back down to Jerusalem to do what? To face that Jerusalem council in Acts 15 to sort out this thing about what do you mean you have to keep the Mosaic law? What do you mean they have to be circumcised? That is absolutely not true. And so through that confrontation, of course, the truth won out, of course, and they came to an understanding in the Jerusalem council that yes, it's only by faith alone in Jesus Christ. There is no other things you must but and add to. You do not have to follow the Jewish mosaic law and once that got settled it was settled that didn't stop the false teachers still going out wherever paul went they were just following him along trying to dismantle and discredit him right from his apostleship what he was teaching what he looked like what did he sound like everything they can figure out a way to get people to get his eyes off of what in his, you know, people's ears away from what Paul is telling them and onto what they said, because they do it in such a much more eloquent way. They looked much more spiritual than Paul. That is what happens today. It happens like no other day. Because you had to go to the place to actually have influence. People had to go to that community. Now people can just go onto the web and they get caught into the web of false teaching. And you have to have discernment and you must be careful of who and what you're listening to or reading because there's false teaching out there. See, 
Paul wrote this letter to magnify God's grace and salvation. To explain the freedom of God's people because it's to the credit of God's grace. And you'll see that even clearer on Galatians 5.1. But Paul is a man who understands grace. You have to understand who, what, who is the man God is using here. Here's a man who was a, 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 a Pharisee of, of, of Pharisees. Here's a man who was zealous for the Jewish faith and he was willing to put his actions behind what he believed. And when Jesus came on the scene and when people were getting saved and they were turning away from the Jewish faith and following Jesus, he was so passionate. He was a man who was willing to go out there and blaspheme the name of Jesus and slaughter Christians and put them in jail. That's how zealous and passionate he was for the faith he believed in. This man understood what he was doing to God's children. And then God met him. God revealed to himself personally to Paul on the road to Damascus. You know the story. It knocked him off his high horse, blinded him. What God will do to reach a person to come to faith. Oh, I'm thankful that God did not have to blind me to get my attention that I needed Jesus in my life. I'm thankful that he did not have to take my wife and my children and my job and everything away from me. Yes, he had to take my health. Because my life was all about my, my looks and my health and my abilities in sports. That was my God. And he had to take that away from me. My God was money and greed. And he took my business and everything and anything I can do to make money was taken away from me within less than a month. What will it take for God to bring you to a point where you're broken and on your back and you'll finally give your life to Christ? It's worth it. It's worth every bar of it. Because there's nothing better than the saving grace of Jesus Christ. To have eternal life given to you. A free gift. And here Paul is just absolutely fried. Because he shared and people are coming to saving grace. They understand there's freedom in Christ. They don't have to follow the law. They can just live their life following Jesus and praising him and loving him. And now these dudes are coming in behind them and throwing in some false teaching that says, no, you need to have back into the bondage of the law and you must keep these legalistic things. Or you're not going to please God. Or he's not going to love you. And all these other junk that comes into the legalicity or this religion of, uh, of that spread all over. Versus a relationship. You and I know, understand, because the scripture is, it is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a religion. There's no do's and don'ts. There's desires to just please our God. And we just pick it up and we keep reading and say, what pleases you, Lord, and show me. And what you tell me to stay away from, I will stay away from. Because I just want to please you in my relationship with you. 
and anything my flesh wants, anything the world tells me I need, or what even my job or even my spouse may tell me I have to have. That does not go above what you tell me I need. And it's very simple. Not always easy, but it's very simple. And all we have to do is just respond out of love, of obedience to him. But Paul understood. Paul is known as the messenger of grace. He says and talks about grace over a hundred times. Almost 148 times grace is mentioned in the entire Bible. He, over a hundred times, says it in his, just his letters alone. Compared to John, the apostle, he only spoke about grace seven times. Seven times. The book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, seven times only when he mentions about grace. But Paul understood grace because God had delivered him from a man so dark and so wicked, he understood that he could not take any credit because he did not do anything to earn it. He just received it. And his life was changed from the inside. The heart was regenerated. A new birth took place in his life. The gift of salvation he received. In the book of Galatians, we're going to see a simple outline. A simple outline of Paul's personal experience with the grace of God, chapters 1 and 2. Then you're going to see Paul gives the doctrinal explanation of the gospel of grace. Chapters 3 and 4, it shows his relationship between the law and grace. But he also, in the last chapters 5 and 6, he closes the letter with a practical exercise or practical application for you and I and tells you and I how to enjoy this grace and freedom in Christ in our daily walk, in our daily life. See, Christian's freedom, Christian freedom is the liberty to become all you can be in Christ Jesus. It is not the license to do whatever you please. You must understand that. We know the worst bondage for you and I. You know what the worst bondage is? Which is when you come to Christ, but then you continue to live like you are still in the world. We know the worst bondage you can experience is living for yourself and yielding to the desires of the old nature, Romans 6. You heard me say this many times. The more I think about myself, the more miserable I become. We want to live for Christ. We do not want to live for our old nature, our fleshly desires. See, the gospel, Christ came, and Christ did not free us to be our own. He freed us to be his and his alone. We're to completely give our lives to Christ. But that's the glorious gospel, isn't it? The glorious gospel of grace that we are received and accepted by God, not on the basis of our works for God. You can't earn it. You can't do anything for it. 
You can't say, give me the checklist, Pastor, and I'll go through the checklist and so that I can say, yes, I did my prayer today. Yes, I did. I read today. Yes, I went to fellowship. Yes, I went and helped the, uh, the little old man across the street. I, now, do you accept me? Do you love me now? See, that is works mentality. That is legalism. But when you understand that you have been received and accepted by God, not on the basis of our works for God, but by God's glorious work for in us and through his son, Jesus Christ. It's his work he's doing in your life. It's not your work. But that's the doctrine of grace. That is what we welcome to the one plan. It's not a 10-step plan. It's not a stand-on-your-head plan. It's not an unachievable plan. He's given you the plan, the doctrine of grace, the gospel of grace. The question is, have you chosen to trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength? That is what you must ponder on. And as we start here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, we're only going to take 10 verses. We'll see if we get through 10 verses here. We're getting wound up here. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So who's the writer of this book, this letter? Paul. There's no dispute of who wrote this letter. Paul is very clear who wrote this letter, Paul. But just not just Paul, but, but, but what, what happened or what, what is it about Paul? He's in a, an apostle, an apostle authorship of a magnificent letter that has been used in these churches, but in the churches from years until now. Now, there's a lot of debate about when was this letter written? Where was he when this letter was written? And it doesn't matter for you and I when this happened. It's kind of a nice debate, and a lot of people bring it back and forth. But just know it's about A.D. 47 to 55 that took place. Was it on his first journey, second journey, third journey? Was it at the northern part of Galatia, or was it at the southern part of Galatia? Again, all of that really doesn't matter. The point is, is what we're trying to get across is be aware of the false teachers and how do you deal with that in your own life and in the church body that you're part of. Now, if I take and study this, it seems Paul wrote this letter before the Jerusalem Council mentioned in Acts 15 because although he mentioned several trips to Jerusalem, he never mentions the interaction with the Jerusalem council. There's no reference in his letters that, hey, I went to Jerusalem, and you won't believe what happened, and this is what we finally worked out. We did some buttheading, but we figured it all out that God trumps all things, and man has to just got to fade away, and God has to, to, to dominate. And it's based on faith in Jesus Christ alone, and not the, the law. Didn't mention any of those things. And because the Jerusalem Council wasn't actually dealt with in exact issues Paul writes about here in this letter, it would seem strange to me if the council had already happened, he had made no mention of it here in this letter. 
Now, it is true that the Galatians were written around that, that time frame, that 47 to 55. So let's say A.D. 50 that was written. Then Paul would have been a Christian for about 15 years at that point. He had been trained up and used by God for 15 years in the ministry. Being converted there on the road to Damascus, that took place in A.D. 35. And we see in Galatians 2.2, which suggests that he wrote the letter after, a little later, in this time frame. So again, it doesn't matter if it was before or after, but we understand the time that Paul was dealing with. Now, Paul was an apostle. This emphasis that he makes here to remind him that he had all authority to say what he was about to write in this letter. Your letters, when you write letters, you write, oh, dear Jackie, and then you start writing down through, and at the very end, you sign who wrote the letter. But here, with the scrolls, they started right up front. They did a greeting. They said who you were, who was writing this. Then they wrote the letter because they wanted to know who was writing it. They needed to understand who was writing it. To me, it always reminds me when someone says, hey, have you, Pastor, have you read this book? It was a great book. I don't ask them about the book. I immediately say, who wrote the book? And if they said, someone I know is a false teacher, I say, don't give me, don't touch me, and I warned you, do not read that book. I don't need to read it. I do not need to read false teaching to know that what has already been coming out from other teachings. Just no touching. I can tell you 66 books if you need one to read. And I can trust you, each author that God has used, to write those 66. Because the Holy Spirit is the, did the work. I have confidence in 66 books that you can read them over and over and you'll never be exhausted by what God has for you through those 66 books. Regardless of the subject, challenge, or the problem you're dealing with. Especially the fact that it was designed specifically to deal with this one plan is dealing with your sin problem. One plan will deal with your sin problem. Do you believe it? It's true. But Paul the Apostle, born in the city of Tarsus, in the southern part of the region of Galatia, or modern-day Turkey, and after his conversion, Paul spent the remainder of his life ministering God's grace and preaching the gospel, and he was executed for his faith around A.D. 67. He was a busy man. God had taken him all around the unknown world at the time, just spreading the good news. Making some tents on the side. He had a secular job to make the money to be able to provide for himself. But his purpose in life and yours and my purpose is to spare the good news. That is what God's called us to do. Just like Paul. And he was faithful to do the work that God called him. This was not the same message Paul preached, it was a miracle. It wasn't some just message, oh, I, I memorized my speech and I'm just going to give the same speech everywhere I go. This was a change life event that he experienced. And he was going out and sharing from his heart what God had done in his life. 
There is a difference. Do you know that? You can have maybe some passion about something that someone said, please memorize and go out and, and do this teaching or go out and share this with this group about how you do something and, and, and follow the process or steps A, B, and C. And you'll have a certain amount of passion for that. But like Paul, he wasn't going out to give just a, some side message of what took place in his life. It was a miracle he experienced. He understood the gospel. And we see in Romans 1.16, it says, the power of God to salvation. This man had passion. This man knew how wicked and dark he was and living in sin and it was killing him. And he was turning around and taking that darkness and killing other people. He was a murderer. He was a blasphemer. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He was a stealer. You name the list. Paul was it. And then God got a hold of his heart and changed it. And now God used him to be the prominent person in the teachings of the letter writings for us as a church body today. The Bible is mostly made up of Paul's writings. God used him, the Holy Spirit used him to write down the words that needed to be written for you and I today. Do you see what the power to salvation can do in someone's life if you would just hear his voice and respond by putting your trust in him? That you can go from a moment of darkness to the moment of life, from a death to going to hell to now have eternal life and be in heaven with Christ for eternity? Why would anyone, that's what Paul's passion is, why would you listen to anyone else who gives you a different plan? Why would you listen to yourself? Why would you listen and talk to yourself and talk yourself out of following God's plan that he has for you? And you sit there and create your own plan. Thinking you can do your own way and go to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Who do you think would have come up with any other plan than, better than that? You can't. But make notice here. Paul says, the apostle says, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Who better else to get the plan from? The savior of the world. The father of the universe. He hands you the plan and you say, ah, I can take her or leave it. Are you crazy? You take or leave the gift of salvation? You think you have a better plan than the God of the universe? That's insanity on just hearing the words. But Paul made it very clear in his letter. What I received did not come from men. Some council didn't sit around and determine if I was going to be called by God, anointed by God, and sent out by God. To preach and to say the truth that God has given me. No man. No council of men. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, period. 
See, Paul's calling, his anointing, his office of apostleship had nothing to do with man, but all from God. People ask me all the time, how do you get, become ordained as a pastor within Calvary Chapel here? Very simple. We don't. Here at Calvary Chapel, all we do is we watch and see and look and monitor men as God is using them to raise them up with a calling. God does the anointing. God does the calling. God does the equipping. We just observe and watch. We affirm. We confirm. We look at the scripture to see if they qualify based on the scripture. And then we see what God is doing in and through that man. That's when we bring them up. That's when we lay hands on them, confirming that he has a calling in his life to preach the, the word of God. Very simple. There's no higher council, some hierarchy of church organization that determines if you are not going to be doing what God's called you to do. But that's legalism. When someone says you must have a certain credentials or you'll never be a pastor, that's legalism. You must go through the following hoops and scoops and everything else. And then when we find out, the council will determine. And when you sit down and give your doctoral dissertation, then we will determine maybe after much prayer if you fit in and get to become a pastor. That's called legalism. We no touch yet. We sit and we watch to see who God has gifted. Remember? God gives the spiritual gifts. Men do not. Amen? Amen? Keep it simple. We let God do the work in the person's life. And we then just come alongside and just one I see, that's as a senior pastor, it's what I see, someone, a calling on God's life, and that man, I do everything I can, as God tells me to, to pour into that man to love that man, to equip that man, to encourage that man, give opportunities to that man, and just do nothing but help that to grow, that calling, that anointing to grow. That's it. That's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. And we watch God get all the glory and honor through it all. I don't take credit for it. You can't take credit for it. No council of men are going to take care, uh, credit for it. God gets all the credit and glory, period. And it's simple. And it's good. And it's right. And he says, and all the brethren who are with me. Who are those brethren? Well, we, we do know that Luke was hanging with them, right? Dr. Luke was hanging with them. We also know Titus was hanging with them. So these brothers were tight with him, and he was going around and sharing the gospel and being there and helping him and encouraging those assistant pastor kind of roles and encouraging Paul through this, these challenging times. He didn't have it easy in the ministry. <laughs> he needed a lot of help, I'm sure, especially after the stoning. Especially after an Antioch, when he got, he probably was dead after that, and God raised him back up from the dead, and he went right back into the city preaching the gospel. He wasn't going to run. 
Why would you run from something that God's called you to do? You don't do it. You have to trust God is going to continue to do the work through and in according to his timing. But he had a purpose and God called him out there to, to, uh, to, to share the gospels and start these churches in the Galatia area. If you notice, it's churches, plural, not just a church. It's not a single church. Not like the letter he wrote to the first Thessalonians. That was to a specific church. But this was addressed to the churches of Galatia. See, during the third century BC, some of these um, um, Celtic, these, these Gauls came and migrated down into that area and, and, and fought and, and there were some challenges there. But that's where they settled into that area, that Black Sea area there. And these Celtics, these Moles, these, these Gauls, they settled there. And God used Paul to go in there to share the, the gospel, and they got saved, and it was, it was growing. Remember, Rome came in, and they tried to conquer. They worked out a deal that even though Rome was over and now become a Roman providence, they were able to self-manage or self-govern in peace for a while under the Roman rule. But that's where we're talking. This is the area that they were dealing with. And there was a northern part. There was a southern part. And you remember in the southern part, you know some of them, Antioch, Iconium, Elystra, Derby. These cities were well known in the scriptures as we see Paul going out and sharing the, the, uh, the gospel and watching these churches grow and what God was doing through those. Powerful, powerful what God was doing. But we also see... And you can go back to Acts 13 and 14 on his first missionary journey. That was in the, the, uh, the southern part of Galatia. But if you go back and look at Acts 16 and uh, for his second uh, missionary trip, that was in uh, the northern part of Galatia. And also his third missionary trip was back in the northern part. You can see that in Acts 18. And, and read those missionary journeys and what God was doing and how he was using them. And then let's continue here and we'll co try to... Wrap up here in verses through the tens here. Verse 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we kind of that first part of that welcome of the letter, the greeting of the letter here, we can see that he, his, his standard greeting of emphasis coming from Paul, and it's key for you and I also to see and notice there, he says, grace to you and peace. Understand this very clearly. You will never experience uh, peace until you first experience God's grace. It can never have peace without God's grace in your life. It doesn't work the other way around. You cannot have peace. And that's why you have to understand that the grace and peace, they are always go together and they're always in that order in the scriptures. You will never find it the opposite. It's God's riches. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. His grace is at his expense. But then you get to receive the peace. And the question always is, is do we really know the grace of God? We see here grace to you. He brings in this traditional greeting, both the Greek and the Jewish culture. That's why he says it. 
right? If you look at the scriptures, you see grace is charis, or it, it means, uh, you know, a Greek culture is how they, they greeted one another in that. The Jewish culture didn't say the grace. They said peace, shalom. So he was trying to speak in the, through the letter both to the Greeks and to the Jews of how in this greeting. So they get people's attention using that language. And he uses this exact phrase five other times in the New Testament. But notice that he says grace and peace who gave himself for our sins. That's significant. He wishes grace and peace on your life. To his readers, grace and peace to you, both from God the Father and God the Son. But now Paul will briefly explain here where and how and why the work of God through this Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how you can have this peace. He says, through this, he says, he got, Jesus gave. And we know, obviously, it should go right back to John 3, 16. God, the Father who loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. Yet God the Father was not the only giver here. We see that Jesus also gave. Jesus is a loving, giving God and a living and giving Savior. He gave himself up for you. Why? Because he came to save us from our sins. The plan, the one plan, was to send his son, Jesus, to come to die on the cross for your sins. Do you know that? Have you, have you trusted in that? Do you believe that? Jesus gave the greatest thing anyone can give. The greatest gift. And he gave himself. There is a sense in which we do not even begin to give until we give ourselves. You can say you're a giver, you can say, I've been forgiven. But have you first gave yourselves? Have you died of yourself and were willing to just turn your life over to Jesus Christ? To be a giver, you must be willing to give ourselves. So many people want to give but when you ask them to give of themselves, then it becomes inconvenient or too much or asking too much or too complex. But that's where giving starts, is a giving of ourselves. Then you get to the heart of giving. But Jesus gave himself, gave himself for our sins. This is why Jesus had to give himself. Our sins put us on a road to ruin and destruction. We were living in darkness. We didn't even have a life. And if God did not intervene, our sins would have destroyed us. But out of his love for you, Jesus gave himself for our sins. And keep it continue. He says that we might deliver us from this 
present evil age. He came in to rescue you and I from this evil age. This explains why Jesus gave himself for our sins. These Galatians battled with and sometimes lost against the evil age that they were dealing with. The world was coming into them. False teachers were coming in after him. Their flesh was rearing up. Expectations of the world were dominating them. Their friends and family seemed to pull them away. It comes from every single force. The question is, will you stand firm and understand that Jesus came in and delivered you from that? He delivered us from this present evil age. We live in an evil age. I I hope you recognize that today. There's a culture out there that just wants to destroy anything and everything that comes to under remotely attached to God. Check the media out these days. Check it out our politics these days. Check out your work environment these days. Check out just the culture in your neighborhood these days. And you will see Jesus came to deliver us from all that. And soon and very soon he's coming back for you. So why would you, anyone, be willing to grab a hold of this world and the things that this world offers? Scripture says to keep a light touch because it will just absolutely destroy you and your family and your children. But what did he deliver us from? What did he rescue us to himself for? It's not to deliver from the presence of, Yes, there's a sense that, yes, God, you're coming back and you're going to take us away from this present world, this evil world. Praise God, I can't wait. But he also understand that he gave himself to deliver us from the power of something. We will not be, del- be delivered from the presence of this evil age until we are go and be with Jesus personally in heaven. But we can experience deliverance from the power of this evil age right now. So many people come, Pastor, I can't give up the drugs. Well, let me introduce you. I have, there's one plan. There's not a 12-step plan here. There's not a 10-step plan. There's not even a two, one-step plan here. Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ who came to deliver you from that. He'll take you from those drugs. From that that drunkenness. That perversion. That pornography. The hatred. The anger. The bitterness. The unforgiving heart. One plan. Come to Jesus Christ and just give it to him. He'll take care of it. But you must take the step of faith. One plan. It's called a relationship with the Savior of this world. And watch him just change you. Have you experienced that new birth? Have you experienced the regeneration of your heart? Have you experienced God change the core of who you are? If you are, then you're born again. 
If you did, you're a Christian. You're a child of God today. And you have eternal life. A absolute guaranteed plan for eternity with God. But if you sit here today and you don't have that assurance, you have not experienced a changed heart. You still want the world. You still want to follow your flesh. Then I ask you to give your life to Jesus Christ today and have that assurity of eternal life. Because when you experience God, grace, that's when peace will fill your life and it will be incredible. Amen?